0: So, I've worked in you know emergency practices and general practice, and it's a problem everywhere. We're just saying yes to every patient that needs care. and a lot of patients need care. So I realize that that's a problem. And then we're only paying our credential technicians fourteen dollars an hour and also requiring them to pay fifty percent of you know their health care, which carries a high deductible maybe because it was cheaper for the employer to go that route. And then we're wondering why they're burnt out, right? Like they went to school, a lot of them, or they learned on the job and they love animals and they wanna provide great care, but maybe they're worried about where their next grocery bill, if that's gonna be able to be paid or if they can pay their rent this month.
1: Hello, Positive Leaders. Thanks for joining us today. You are listening to the Positive Leadership Podcast with Andrea Crabtree and David List a podcast for everything a veterinary manager needs to know to get the job done. We've been there and we know how hard it is and are here to help share our knowledge and expertise to elevate you. I'm Andrea Crabtree, co-founder of Positive Leadership Podcast, owner of FurPaws Consulting, a certified veterinary practice manager, and HR certified professional.
2: And I'm David Liss, co-founder of the Positive Leadership Podcast. I'm also a certified veterinary practice manager, hold an MBA, and I'm a registered veterinary technician.
1: And this podcast is for you, the veterinary practice manager, supervisor, leader. We want to elevate you by equipping you with relevant content, material, guidelines, instruction, feedback, and pro tricks and tips
2: we will deliver real life experience along with our super smart guests that will get you through the obstacles that you're facing today with some bloopers and blunders along the way to remind you that you're not alone.
1: Furpas Consulting has deep expertise in helping veterinary practices reach their full potential for all types of practices, whether specialty, emergency, or general practice, by working alongside the practice owner and manager. Are you a practice owner or practice manager with a challenge and not enough bandwidth to tackle it? Reach out to me, Andrea Crabtree, owner of FurPaws Consulting, with the question that keeps you up at night. I'm able to provide expertise and insight to navigate those tricky obstacles. Find my info in the show notes. Email me at andrea at furpaws.us or check out my website at www.furpawsconsulting.com. Hello, positive leadership listeners. Today, we have an amazing guest with us, Melissa Stedman. She is the practice manager at Brandywine Valley Veterinary Hospital. She is a CVPM, and I'm very excited, Melissa, to have you on the show. David knows you. I do not. So nice to finally meet you. Absolutely. I'm so happy to be here. Without having to read a stuffy bio, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? So
0: I am a CVPM, like you said, and have worked in veterinary medicine for Eighteen, a long time. I'm dating myself. Yeah,
1: we'll I will just go with a while. <laughs>
0: <laughs> a while. I love the industry. I'm so thankful to be part of a practice that is really trying to change things positively for the people working in vet med, specifically the support staff. You know, it's something I'm super passionate about is just having people love veterinary medicine again because it's been kind of like a dark place lately.
1: Yeah, when you say dark place, I assume that you're referring to our wonderful last two years that have kind of kicked us in the teeth while we're down.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. It just,
0: you know, people leaving the industry for other jobs or just getting so burned out or not feeling appreciated at their practices, not being paid a livable wage. It's just, and COVID just kind of exasperated all of those problems. And really yeah. put them on the forefront
1: of everybody, I think. So. Yeah, unfortunately, it took a worldwide pandemic for Ugh. us to take a look at our profession. It's been rough. And mm-hmm. it sucks
2: because we're not really still out of it yet, right? Like, I mean, I mean, in terms of what you're talking about and facing, like, we got through the last two years, but yet we're still having to really undo a lot of the kind of emotional toll that it took, right? I mean, I think that's what you're referring to, Melissa, because here we are two and a half years later, we should be feeling great and ready to tackle the world. And I don't think a lot of us are facing that, yeah?
0: Exactly, exactly. And I think that we're responding to a a crisis now instead of just a problem that could have probably been easily resolved if we were paying attention. So
1: we got to get to work. (laughs) Melissa, can you tell me about your favorite book or podcast, maybe a CE or a class or something that left a really lasting impression on you? Absolutely. It would definitely be the book, It's Your Ship by uh, D. Michael Abershoff. He was a
0: captain in the Navy and really turned a really failing ship around. And it's a management book that really focuses on managing your people as they are people with personal problems, you know, pasts of some sort, and just treating them like human beings. And it's just, it's a very inspiring book. And if it's not on your reading list, it definitely should be really good. I think it really relates to veterinary medicine, the way he, he describes his management style.
2: That is actually a book that I have on my list. I've never read it, but it's great to know that you really enjoyed it. I think that, you know, there's a couple of books like that out there where there are um, army or navy captains that talk about, you know, how to really run very high performing teams. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's some differences between that industry. And I feel like we definitely feel like and I'm not sure it's completely true. But I think we feel like we're being handcuffed. Or kind of pushed into a corner with our team so we don't push them hard because, gosh, what if somebody quits? Like, we get a little held hostage. But man, yeah, if you read about leaders or sports leaders that talk about how to drive teams really, really hard, I think the biggest thing is that those people really know, like, first of all, there's a leadership structure. Like, they better not talk back to their leader, right? Like, they get shit going. But the other side of it is that they're all there for the same reason. And so the leader can be hard on them because it doesn't kind of attack them at the level of like, I'm a horrible, like, for example, a sports player, like I'm not a horrible human being because I missed a shot. Guess what? I'm going to come back to practice tomorrow and work twice as hard. And I don't know if we see that in a lot of our teams, which is probably a failure of leadership more than anything. And so yeah, I'm glad you brought those up, Melissa, because those are really good books.
1: Um, Yeah, I think they hit home more on the leadership aspect, right? They they really talk about how to lead successful teams and a bunch of pro athletes, right? Or very, very skilled you know, people in the army yeah. or the Navy or, you know, military, or whatever, they're very, very skilled, but then how do you lead them? Right. How do yeah, you make right. them have their best foot forward all the time? And when they don't, what happens? Right. Yeah. yeah you're right. David, right. they don't suck, but it's those good leadership skills. Yeah. yeah I love those exactly, books. So yeah. Melissa, say it again. What's the name of the book? Uh, it's called it's your ship. By, it's your ship. Uh, D. Michael okay. Yeah.
0: Really, really nice. good book. Definitely check it out.
2: So I follow you on LinkedIn, Melissa, and you do some killer posts. And I love how you just tell it like it is. And I'm just pulling up this one from a few weeks ago, and this leads me in my question. So it was awesome. Melissa says, as you celebrate your hashtag veterinary technicians this week with food and gifts, please also do your part to think about and implement the following. A, higher wages. B, better benefits. Bonus points if your hospital is offering them at no cost to the employees. C, flexible schedules. D, lunch breaks. E, longer appointment times. F, appropriate staff to patient ratios that don't compromise care. I don't lost my count. Now, G, no tolerance for abusive clients. And H, considering your people over profits before any decision. Technicians are leaving our field in droves and we need to step up to implement real change. So I think, and I would call you out as being known for a CVPM, a certified veterinary practice manager, who is very passionate for helping us run better practices and build better teams with the people of the hospital at that foundation. So can you tell me and and tell us a little bit about why you feel so passionate about prioritizing the veterinary team, basically, you know, digging into profits to pay for, you know, as you listed a lot of those things on the team, you know, sacrificing, for example, a higher volume, you know, talking about longer appointment times for the team, what makes you just so passionate about that?
0: So I've worked in, you know, emergency practices and general practice, and it's a problem everywhere. We're just saying yes to every patient that needs care, and a lot of patients need care. So I realize that that's a problem. And then we're only paying our credential technicians $14 an hour and also requiring them to pay 50% of, you know, their health care, which carries a high deductible maybe because it was cheaper for the employer to go that route and then we're wondering why they're burnt out, right? Like they went to school, a lot of them, or they learn on the job and they love animals and they want to provide great care, but maybe they're worried about where their next grocery bill, if that's going to be able to be paid or if they can pay their rent this month. And it's just, how can you expect someone that has to perform at such a high level to practice high quality medicine on a patient and... You're overworking them with the amount of patients that you're bringing in. And then you're also not paying them. So they're, you can't just expect them to leave those problems at home. And I would argue, I know I made some people upset on that post, but I would argue that we can afford it, right? Like people are have pets. They are spending a ton of money on their pets. And yes, the client does have to pay for those things. But if we don't pay our teams and at least start that at the foundation and offer them good healthcare so that they can go to the doctor and they can afford to take care of themselves, how can we expect them to take care of our patients? And if we're compromising care because we're bringing it, we're operating at too high of a volume, we're going to make a mistake at some point that could be devastating to somebody's career. Not to mention that pet, and we're just going to continue to push people out of the profession. So I think as an industry, we just really have to look all of those things and improve them for our staff, or they're just going to keep leaving.
1: So let's dig into this a little bit, Melissa, because what I hear you telling me is that pay and benefits matter and that we can't afford it. So let's talk about these being foundational, I would say like almost principles at a veterinary hospital. Why are these important? And why is it something that we then need to make sure that we can't afford it? If, what if we just can't? what if we can't afford to take care of the client, or excuse me, what if we just can't afford to take care of our staff that way? And and what if $14 is the going rate? So let's talk about that a little bit. What's your thoughts about that?
0: My thoughts on that are, is I think you really have to look at your, your pricing and your COGS your cost of goods sold and just really analyze your P&L and start there as your base and say, okay, well, you know, the owner or the corporation or whatever, they expect to make this amount of money so that they can live comfortably or they can, you know, take care of their stockholders and all of that, and then see what percentage you have to raise prices in order to be able to also pay your staff at least a living wage and then hopefully work up to offering them more. You know, if your financials are a mess and you don't know where you're at and, you know, you're not keeping up on those things, of course, you're not going to know or you're going to maybe feel like you can't afford anything else. So that's definitely where I recommend you start. And then you look at your pricing. Are you charging appropriate, like dispensing fees? Do you have an online store? Are you adding more services like therapy laser, offering nutraceuticals in your practice? Like All of these things that increase your profits. And then hopefully you can take a percentage of that and put it back into your staff. I think that unfortunately, a lot of the times we look at payroll costs as, this huge liability for our practices when really we should be looking at our staff as an asset and like a long-term investment investment because when they leave, we all know it costs so much money to replace a staff member, especially if you had somebody that was like, you know, that excellent staff member and, you know, they just got burned out and maybe they went to work for a pharmaceutical company or, you know, they just left, you know, so I would definitely argue that it's going to cost more money to replace your staff than to keep them
1: yeah, and I, I mean, like point. yes, all great of that, point. right. Because I think that raising prices is not our only answer. In fact, I would challenge most practices to say is like, do that last, right? because we're gonna outprice ourselves right out of the market and look at some of these other things first. Like, yeah, look at your budget. Where's your cogs? Is it appropriate? Are there places that you can trim back? You know, are we using our team efficiently? Are we maximizing revenue the way we can be? So like you said, You know, do we have other profit centers that we're looking at, like providing major therapy or whatever else, right? So I think there's so many different ways that we can make sure that we're capturing every single charge, that yes, we are charging appropriately, dispensing fees, things like that. Mm -hmm. Do we making sure we're capturing deferred services instead of declined services and let them go by the wayside? So yeah, I love it, Melissa, to know that we can do this. We don't have to do it just by raising prices. That is one way to do it. We can do budgets and all kinds of great things and creative ways to, to right. make our staff feel appreciated, so that they can have a decent living wage and have the benefits that we need to be offering them to make ourselves competitive in the market. And take a look, a deep look at that, right? So, yes, Melissa, thank you so much for going over all of that. I love it. I read
2: some of the comments on your post, and you said, you know, I, I may have upset some folks. You know, I was reading some of those and what it got me thinking about was that I think what solves this issue is really, it's really kind of, I don't want to say budgeting, budgeting's not like, that's the solution to the problem. But I think we have to remember that it is okay for the owners of our practices to make profit and put money into their personal bank accounts because of the risk they take to run small businesses. But I also think that you know, the other way to look at it is budgeting. And I mean, I'm not exactly, you know, coming out this from like a PhD, you know, perspective here. But what I'm trying to say is, look, if you did X this year, and you look at next year, and for example, Melissa, let's say you wanted to implement some of the things. So $0, you know, benefits, expenses, X%, percent you know, pay increases for everybody or pay scales, which I'm going to talk about with you in a second, or, you know, whatever else you plug those into your forecast and then you reverse engineer it. And you say, okay, what do I need to do in revenue? Where do my prices need to go? Can I add fees? Like, do I need to do marketing, whatever those pieces are. And at the end of the day, then you say, okay, I'm going to walk away with X amount of money in my bank account as an owner profit or a margin if you work with P&Ls and stuff. And that's how you do it. I think one of the comments was like, how do we do this immediately? I don't know if it gets done immediately. I think that, you know, we're well into quarter four, but you could absolutely be now thinking about Q1. And yeah, it's going to take some time, right, to kind of look at what types of revenue and how much you need to, say, charge or drive or do whatever to pay for taking your employment costs. Let's say you're charging the employees, like, I don't know, 30% for their benefits, right? That's the 70-30 split. You go to zero. You have to put all of that expense onto the PL, push it out accrue it and see how it goes. And then maybe you have to work with your broker and negotiate better prices for insurance and like all of those pieces, right? It takes time. But I would say, and hopefully you would agree with me, Melissa, that if you're working on that, it doesn't need to happen tomorrow. It's just awesome that you're working on that. And you're thinking of like in this day and age in the 21st century, rather than saying, oh, we offer health insurance, that's a benefit. The next phase of that in order to make sure we attract and retain the best talent is we offer health insurance at zero cost to you, right? Like, 20, 30, 40 years ago, nobody got health insurance at work. Like there wasn't Obamacare and it was a huge expense and a lot of employers would charge, you know, maybe do it 50, 50 or even less, you know, more the employee and, you know, all that stuff. And now we're working towards a different, right? So would you agree like that A, you know, you don't need to have the solution tomorrow and B, a lot of these large strategic things can come from more of strategic level planning and how they get implemented versus, oh my God, I have to take a, I don't know, $250,000 hit in profit because I need to give my employees $0 cost for their insurance. What do you think, Melissa?
0: I absolutely agree with that. And it's, you know, I don't expect anyone to make these changes overnight. And it's really taking, you know, sitting down with your management team as well and saying, okay, a priority for me over the next two to three years is, I want to get all of our CBTs up to this amount of money or I want to pay their benefits, you know, 80% or I want to do this and I'm a big believer of like you speak things into action and if you are dedicated as a practice owner of, to taking care of your staff, you are going to see an increase in profits because your staff's going to be more mm-hmm. invested in you and your in your business. Right. They're going to treat your clients better. They're going to make sure they're not missing charges, you know, all of these things are going to get much better for you once you start really putting your people first. And the other part of that, I think, is I think a lot of practice owners aren't really big on teaching their staff the business side of running a veterinary hospital. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not telling, saying, you know, you need to show them your bottom line, right? But talk to them about COGS. Talk to them about, you know, do they know how much payroll is every two weeks about? Like, do they understand the overhead that it takes to run in a veterinary practice to give them a better understanding of okay, I understand why I only got this raise or why we're doing this, or at least my, I know my boss is working towards getting me these things because they're communicating with me, you know, when they're giving me a one-on-one meeting or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely agree with everything you said.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. So let's kind of switch gears, but also continue on this really amazing and kind of radical journey that you have run with your practice. So, you are, and you can correct us if we're wrong, you're either working towards or you have finalized, or I don't want to say published publicly, but like give to your staff pay scales and working towards pay equality. And it's really timely because there, and uh, Andrea can speak to this because I'm behind on my HR stuff, but there I know is a uh, California law that is, I believe goes into effect next year or is going to go into effect ASAP around pay scales. And and I can't remember if it's the employers to ask for. Yeah, January like one, pay transparency, it's yeah, job put, ads. You have yeah. to put them in the job ads, right? Yeah. So whether the pay scale is, you know, 18 to 1850, which might be the pay scale for something, or it's, you know, 22 to 27, whatever, you know, whatever it is, we're going to have to publicly put those into effect in California. So what is, you know, walk us through that journey, Melissa, of kind of starting that process, who was championing it, who was pushing back on it, how you developed it and kind of where you guys are at now.
0: Absolutely. So we are, I'm hoping that by the end of second quarter next year, everything's here is going to be pretty much transparent with a pay scale that is well written out with the support steps that we're going to offer our employees of how they get to the next level with clear job descriptions and all of that. So we kind of inherited this practice, and unfortunately, there were people that were pretty low on the pay scale versus a lot of the people we are bringing with us. You know, they were coming from an emergency hospital, so they were kind of a, a bit higher as far as pay goes. So we've been working over the past three years to make sure we're giving, you know, regular raises once or twice a year to start to get everybody where they need to be and discussing with them like, hey, you know, if you, you know, pass your VTNE, you can make this much money and just really starting those conversations. And after this next group of raises that we're about to give for the beginning of next year, I'm pretty much going to have everybody about where they're where they need to be. And that's when I'm going to start really rolling out, okay well, this is how you get to the next level. Because I have staff that really want more responsibility and then I have staff that don't. So kind of adding that in there as well. I'm a big, big advocate on, you know, if you give your staff extra responsibility, you need to pay them for that. So we are still a work in progress. It's not an overnight thing, just like everybody else kind of going through this and navigating it, but it is needed. And I think that job just, you know, any job ad nowadays that doesn't have the salary posted, people are just scrolling right by. So um, you know, we're definitely. Just along this journey, with probably a lot of other practice owners and practice managers are as well. But, you know, it's really yeah. important to us. So we're going to keep trekking. So
2: that's awesome. Well, that's amazing. And uh, look, you're also not talking about it. You're not, it's not going to be done tomorrow. You're looking at it in what it sounds like four to six months essentially to be done. So mm-hmm. very cool. Very cool.
1: I almost have got some follow up there. So tell me how you handle when an employee comes to you and says, you know, I got my raise, but I know that so-and-so in my department makes $2 more an hour than me or makes more than me or whatever the case it is. Tell me how you, what your response is to that when you're working on leveling them up or, or creating this pay transparency. And then also, you know, that in that same context about, yes, you gave me a raise or, oh, I hadn't I qualify for a raise. I still think I should be making more. And I see that a lot when I've got interviews and I've got some vet assistants coming in saying they want to make 25 or $35 an hour. And I'm blown away. And I'm like, well, uh, you're not licensed, <laughs> not paying you more yeah. than someone that's licensed. And, yeah. you know, I don't even know if you can place a catheter, like you're crazy. What is this nonsense? And so talk to me a little bit about what people are asking you to either be transparent with somebody else's pay, or I know that they, you know, they already have transparency, they make more than me and they shouldn't, or I should make more. How are you handling those types of conversations?
0: So I haven't had to deal with that luckily, but I mean, I think it's just all about being honest, right? I mean, one, don't shoot yourself in the foot and hire like a new person that's going to come in making way more than your employees that have been with you from day one, you know, because that's going to get out and you know, then you're really going to have a situation, but I think it's just being, like, like you said, okay, well you're not credentialed and this is what I need to start you at. And these are the steps you can take to get to the next level. We're going to reevaluate in 90 days, see how you're doing and go from there. And just really, I just think honesty is definitely the best policy there. Like, I'm not saying you need to go and tell them what everybody in your practice is making if you're not at transparent pay wages yet. But I think you just have to be clear with your job descriptions. And like you said, if they're a veterinary assistant and you don't know them very well or you don't know their skills, they're not credentialed. Just you know, be upfront about that and say, well, this is what we're offering, or this is what we can give you right now. And if you can prove to me that you can do A, B, and C, and you can do it without being supervised, and all of those, you know, going through all of your training, then we can reevaluate and, you know, making sure you follow up on those reevaluations too, and not just having the employee feel like you just forgot
1: about them Mm -hmm. is key as well. Yeah. So Some of the transparency there and follow up, I think is key. Yes.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's just great to hear you even verbalize what it looks like to have an honest, not rehearsed conversation with an employee as a person, right? Versus what I think a lot of times managers, leaders, you know, we all kind of feel like we have to have, you know, rehearsed all this stuff. And so sometimes by default, we get defensive. So we don't have pay transparency because we don't want to have the messy conversation like you just mentioned. But I mean, what else could a human being ask for if you go and you say, you know, you have the normal kind of jealousy human stuff, and you go to your boss and say, so-and-so is making $2 an hour more, and then you as the leader just say, you're right, and we're transparent about it, and look, you're in a different category, and let's talk about a development plan, and let's talk about, you know, the other tasks that that person took on, you know, or their tenure, or whatever the heck, you know, you use to, to put the scales in place. And then you can kind of turn it around and say, look, we're going to work with you. Like, here's, you know, you could get there and here's the things you can do. And on the other side, you can kind of gently say, you know, I mean, probably wouldn't say this like in the same conversation, but just say, isn't it really cool that we're transparent and you actually, not only obviously can you talk about and benefits with each other, but we actually come out and we show what everybody makes so that you can clearly see where your goals would go to. You could go work at another hospital that wouldn't do that, right? And like, that's pretty empathetic. That's pretty messy. It's very like Brene Brownish, right? And so I think yeah, it's awesome right, the way exactly. you worded that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the other things that I love, and I'm sorry, I can't come up with the LinkedIn post, but you probably know it better than I do because it's your LinkedIn post, is you're starting to really dissect and maybe kind of attack and address this whole yearly review thing. And I'm really on board with that. I don't have a great solution. I haven't read a lot of like organizational stuff that kind of has a really great solution that's really been proven to work. But I also do think that yearly employee reviews without more of timely feedback, constant coaching you know, one-off raise evaluations, things like that, you know, performance development, professional development plans. I think those things are awesome. I think those are much more 21st century. And I think the yearly review, and this is not meant to be bad, but it's a thing of the past because of how time moved. Most people, I think this is a generalization, but like would advance in their job year over year. And now we're talking more month over month, week over week sometimes, right? Like in terms of how people want to earn more heck with inflation, two years ago, or let's call it maybe let's call it normal 2019, people paid x for their food and their gas. And so three to 5% raises for just cost of living made sense. And if you got your RVT, you got a raise or if you became a VTS or whatever it is. But now when people are like, I'm paying 7%, not just this year, but year over year more, I have to get a 8% raise just to break even people are like, I want to get there faster. And so I kind of want to hear your thoughts on employee reviews let's just call it that i think that's even an old term right as well but what are your thoughts how do you think you're getting some traction and how do you think that what you're doing is successful
0: so we've been at brandywine now three years we're about to hit our three-year anniversary in like in like a week and one of the things i said from the beginning was i don't want to do reviews and um, the practice owner was like okay well i trust you that's what you want to do we can try it And what we do instead is we do quarterly one-on-one meetings with all of our employees. A lot of times they're late because veterinary medicine is crazy and people are on vacation and whatnot, but we always make sure to get them done. It's always the practice owner and myself, which I think is really important to have, you know, all the members of your leadership team present. And instead of just like our one-on-ones are not necessarily performance-based. It could be anything from like, hey, how are you doing? What do you like to do for fun outside the practice? you know, what do you think about this? Or we have this idea. I kind of have a theme every quarter. Usually the end of the year, something for them to improve on the next year, like that they want to improve on, not necessarily me giving them something to improve. And then if there's an issue or there is a problem or a mistake is made, it's dealt with at that moment. I remember being a, a veterinary receptionist and getting an annual review. And no, my manager had never talked to me about anything prior to that. And I have a strong personality and I like to get things done. So sometimes that is can be put off for some people. And at that time I was young and I probably didn't communicate very well. And she, I thought I did great. I thought I was doing great at my job. And she was like, well, you're doing great, but you offended this person, you know, six months ago by saying this. And I'm like, I don't even remember that. I was, And I asked him like, well, you know, why didn't you tell me at that time so that I could correct that behavior? And it was basically, well, we needed, you know, we needed things to talk to you about in your review. (laughs) And I'm like, I mean, now I've alienated myself from this coworker of mine who I don't even know who it is. And this could have been dealt with then instead of now at this review. And I find that so many employees that I've talked to, they're like, the idea of a review gives them so much anxiety that they literally can't focus on their job that day. So I'm like, why are we doing this? And then if they're not getting a raise and they expected one, then, you know, now they're going to be resentful. So it's just the one-on-ones work great. And I've sent a bunch of anonymous surveys and everybody seems to like it, you know, so so far so good. It's been working for us and, you know, I don't think I would ever go back. So
1: I love it. I'm into it too. I do quarterly feedback sessions and I think that they're so, so much more valuable than that whole annual thing. Like you said, people expect raises and they don't get it and That's your only time to bring something up from like, oh, back in 1902 when you did this and people are like, what are you talking about? Great. So yeah, Yeah, I'm a fan. So let's talk a little bit about some epic failures and they don't even need to be epic failures, but what do you see that like, if we stopped doing this tomorrow in practice, it wouldn't be too soon. What do you feel like has just, we've screwed up and need to stop doing? I really feel strongly about managers getting
0: out of their office. And getting on the floor with their staff. And I realize not every practice manager has, you know, maybe medical experience, but you can go out, you can do a load of laundry, you can clean a cage, you can answer a phone. If things are going crazy, just get out of your office, go around, see how things are going, check in with people. You know, I wear scrubs every day because if somebody needs help holding a dog for a nail trim or, you know, somebody had to leave early and now appointments need covered, like, I'm your girl. I'm out there. And they see that. And it's like, I'm more part of a team when they see like, Oh, my manager is not afraid to come in and clean a cage for me when right. I'm going crazy dealing with this. Yeah. So it makes a lot of difference. The other kind of on that same page is eat lunch with your team. You know, it's we're real big on lunch breaks here. And I do my best unless I have a meeting to be in that lunchroom with them every day chatting with them, you know, just hanging out, just being present, because you're going to build more trust and build more relationship. And then when you, you know, all those things come back to you when you do have to talk to them about something that they did. They're not as anxious about it. They trust your feedback. They're more willing to accept that accountability. And it really makes all the difference. So managers, please get out of your office.
1: Yeah. And I love the fact that you say stop and eat lunch. You're actually saying that managers should, should stop and actually consume food during the day, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't yeah. cram that granola bar down your throat in between phone calls, right? Like, stop, take a break, go eat with your team. Oh my gosh, what the an people novel idea! Will still be there
0: when you get back. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: I love it. Thank you. What would be some
2: suggestions that you would give to managers to flip the triangle rather than it being a top-down practice? A boss-driven practice where everything is done, say, essentially kind of um, from the owner's lens. So culture of the hospital, marketing, design theme, you know, how we interact with clients, like the whole thing comes from how the owner wants it done. And a lot of times, you know, that gets kind of iterated over time when you do things that the owner didn't want you to do, and then you get told it should be different rather than like there are actually being a laid out vision, mission, vision, values, and, you know, approach. So, how would you coach a manager to get to more of this employee centric practice? So, the up, the flipped triangle, right? The, the upside down approach, um, which they refer to in literature as instead of top down, it's bottom up but um, I don't even like bottom up, it's almost like bottom down, right? Like you're literally taking that triangle and it's like employees at the very top. Sometimes people put clients there, but I think it's mostly employees, then clients, then management, non-owners, and then the owner or owners at the very bottom of the triangle as the point. We read your LinkedIn post about like family first and when employees need our support as managers. So how do you do that at Brandywine and how would you coach or give support to a manager who or an owner of a practice who's like trying to flip that upside down?
0: So I think that one thing I always try to remember, and and a lot of managers can be like this, it's like, you know, you have this idea, you want to run with it, you want to get those results quickly. And I think sometimes we have to take a step back and consider that everyone has a different personality and we don't do their job. We have a very important job at the practice and that is to make sure that there's money in the bank, that the patients are coming in and getting good care, the employees are taken care of, but we need to remember like we don't do their jobs. so. It's hard for me to dictate to them how they should do things when I don't do it. So, I think I'm a really big fan of anonymous surveys because sometimes people don't feel comfortable, maybe given, especially if you're trying to flip the culture, maybe they don't feel comfortable talking to you about something. And that feedback might hurt and you might have to kind of swallow your pride and take it. But I think when you start to consider your relationship with your employees in every decision that you are going to make, you are going to see so much more buy-in and trust and results with what you're trying to do because they're giving you feedback and you're actually taking it. I always tell them, Hey, like, if you need something to do your job better, please tell me, I will get it for you. Like no questions asked. Like if you, you know, need a different, you know, uh, cleaner or supply or something like, you know, you need more chocolate in the break room. Like, let me know, I will get it for you. And it makes a lot of difference. And it, you actually start seeing your teams coming together to solve their own problems without even maybe out even asking because you're empowering them. So that's really the mindset I think you have to flip. And instead of it being about me as the manager, and what I want, it really needs to be what they want. Because I mean, they're the rock stars here. They're the ones bringing the money in, seeing the patients, taking care of the clients. It's not me. It's them. I just always tell them like, I'm just part of, I'm the same as you. I'm part of the team. I'm just, my job's a little different. And taking that step
1: back really makes a lot of difference. I love that. Like when's the last time we've asked our team, you know, how can we support them? Right. Can you give us one or two action items that we can start tomorrow? Like what are some things that we can do? Like as easy as tomorrow when you go in the office, try this and see, Uh, and it's giving you good results.
0: Absolutely. I mean, if you're committed to hoping, like hopefully you're committed to wanting to pay your staff more, the first thing you can do is get your financials in order and really sit down and analyze your P&L. To see where you can make those changes like we talked about earlier in the conversation. That's something you can do immediately. And then the second thing would be to, to develop a, a feedback survey for your staff. You know, you can go to SurveyMonkey, send out a free survey. It's completely anonymous. And ask ask the hard questions and be prepared for the answers because, you know, they, they may not yeah, be Yeah, sometimes it can be tough to swallow, right? Like you said. Right.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Melissa, if you could give one piece of advice to our listeners today, what would it be and why that advice?
0: My advice would definitely be to just consider, like, put your relationship first. You know, I ride horses and that's what I thats I put my relationship for first with my horse before I tr- decide to trust him with my life, taking me on a trail. It's, you know, put your relationship with your employees first before you make a decision that's going to affect them. And really consider their feelings and their feedback and everything that you do. And they will really start to see that your actions are going to, you know, back up your words and that you do care about them. And it's just, it's going to make your culture so much better because it's going to be employee centric and then everything else is going to fall into place. And your clients are going to rave about how happy the atmosphere is when they walk into your clinic.
1: Fantastic. I love it. As much interactions as you've had with practice owners, employees, clients, vendors, whoever it may be, it may even be non-veterinary medicine, but I can promise you that you've had an opportunity or an interaction with someone at some point in time in your career that you have like palm went to the forehead, eyes popped out like pugs, like your chin just hits the ground and you just tell yourself like, what the hell? I could never make this up. Can you share with us your, you can't make this shit up story? Absolutely. And I'm sure
0: others that work in um, emergency medicine specifically have probably had like really weird stuff like this happen to them. But I used to work a lot of midnight, 1am shifts at the clinic I was working at. And we used to have this man that would call like every, I don't know, every few months. It was really strange. He would only call when we weren't busy. So I don't know if he was like watching the practice, but he would talk about a fish in his stomach, that was tickling his stomach. And that's all he would say. He wouldn't get any worse or like anything like more inappropriate than that. And he would just keep trying to continue that conversation. And he would usually call back a few times. And then we think he went away for a while and then he would call again. And it was just his number was always blocked. It was just a really weird thing. And we just laugh about it now because that's what you have to do. You have to just laugh at all these situations. But yeah, um, right. The fish man is just the story. The fish man. Had. we all kind of laugh about every so often (laughs) reminiscing (laughs) on our emergency days so
2: that's funny (laughs) awesome
1: hey andrea here have you seen our social media pages Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also find us on our website, www.positiveleaders.com. And if you like what you see there, be sure to give Rhonda and Linda a shout out over at Dog Days Consulting. They do all of our social media management. They even built our website. Those ladies can work some creative magic for your business and your brand. Check them out on Facebook at Dog Days Consulting or visit their website at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. So at this point in the show,
2: we're going to go into the rapid fire. Tell me about your most epic failure that has left a lasting impact.
0: Uh, Definitely being loyal to the wrong employer.
2: Tell me about your proudest moment.
0: That would be the birth of my two children.
2: Why veterinary medicine? What do you just love about our profession?
0: I mean, we get to do everything from love on puppies to saving an animal that was just hit by a car, maybe all in the span of two hours. So there's no other industry like it. Self-care. How do
2: you practice self-care? How do you decompress?
0: Lunch breaks and a day off every week makes all the difference.
2: How do you balance work and life? And do you experience any work guilt in that balance?
0: I remind myself that if I'm not at my best, then I can't take care of my team. And I'm sure everyone experiences work guilt, so occasionally.
2: What keeps you up at night, things that stress you out in your hospital or things that cause you anxiety?
0: I really worry about the state of veterinary medicine. And I just, I'm really hoping it gets better and more people take it seriously.
2: And what gets you up and out of bed in the morning? What excites you to start your day?
0: Usually it's my screaming three-year-old demanding his waffle. However, uh, really, it's my team. that They're awesome. I can genuinely say I love going to work.
2: If you think about all the colors of the rainbow, and that sounds super silly, but all the colors of the rainbow, what color would you be and why?
0: I think I would be like a bright purple.
2: And if you could be any animal in the world, what would you be and why?
0: I think I would be some type of bird. I think it would be awesome to, to be able to fly.
2: Well, that's it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, you Melissa. Great. It was so good to have you on the show. Thank you for everything you're doing for veterinary yes, teams thank over you. at Brandywine. And-
0: Alrighty, thank you guys for all you're doing as well.
1: Appreciate it. Have a good one. Take care.
2: For all the positive leaders listening out there, we hope you learned something to take back to your practice to put into use tomorrow.
1: We want to hear from you, good, bad, and everything in between. So email us at positiveleaders at gmail.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. Want to hear about a specific topic on the podcast? Email us. Want to have your You Can't Make This Shit Up story featured? Email us.
2: You can listen to us on your favorite podcast app and subscribe to the Positive Leadership Podcast. And be sure to rate us check out our website at www.positiveleaders.com. That's positive with a -A P-A-W. And as always, catch us on all the socials.
1: This is Andrea.
2: And David.
1: Signing off until next time. Stay happy and sane.
2: The Positive Leadership Podcast is solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast are general in nature and such information, statements, comments, views, and opinions, and the receipt of this podcast by any listener are not intended to be and should not be construed as the provision of any business advice. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions expressed or provided in this podcast, including by speakers and guests, are those of Andrea Crabtree David Liss and their guests only, may not be current and do not represent the statements, comments, views, and opinions of any other person or business entity. Andrea Crabtree, David Liss, and or the Positive Leadership Podcast, do not make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the information, statements, comments, views, or opinions contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage of any kind whatsoever, is expressly disclaimed.